everybody. Welcome to the Confusianity Podcast. This is episode nine, and I'm quite excited today to have actual other podcasters on the show today. <laughs> um, professional. They're, they're my friends from the Your Friends podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I love their podcast. I listen to it weekly. I didn't tell them this, but uh, I cut my hair like once a week. And usually it's, that's like the perfect timing where I'm just like cutting my hair and I listen to you guys' podcast. So I like just, it. Just some r- ritual. Yeah. Some consistency. Yeah. I'm into that. Maybe we, we market ourselves as a hair cutting podcast. <laughs> like, do you need something to do while you cut your hair? <laughs> listen to your friend's podcast. Maybe just one particular promo. <laughs> like just <laughs> as an offshoot. We're always just looking for that thing. You know, the thing that's right. going to that's gonna make it. Right. We're just looking to get really big on one thing, whether it's uh, the secret shift, third result on Google. Or people hair. cutting their hair. Yeah. yeah. So I'm here with, uh, it's Ben and Diana. And Ben and I are friends from high school back in Augsburg, Germany. And we recently reconnected because uh, a friend, a mutual friend of ours, Brian from high school, who was a prior guest on the Confusianity podcast, told me about Ben's podcast. And at first, the reason why I was listening to them was because how they came out of Mormonism. Um, so that's because my friend Brian knew I was doing Confusianity and I was like, oh, you should listen to theirs. So I started out listening for that reason, but they started talking about Mormonism less and less, <laughs> but I still found myself listening cause it's a great podcast and they just talk about life and philosophy and just, you know, week to week, day to day life and parenting and just everything. It's great. So I'm really happy to have them on, on today for episode nine. I would also invite my listeners to go and listen to their podcast, uh, their, their latest episode. I'm the guest on there. So we started talking a little bit about Mormonism and religion and stuff there. So check that out as well. Um, but to start this episode here and now, I do want to ask them to start out basically how they left Mormonism. Uh, I left sort of traditional Christianity. And... Oh, here's another shout out to their friends, uh, Latter-day Lesbian. Yes, you got it. Um, and I listened to their episode uh, this past week where Diana was a guest on there, and she got into her experience of being a Mormon and, and leaving Mormonism and what all that entailed. So I, I don't want to just um, rehash that exactly. So, um, But if you are curious to go deeper into her story, I, I definitely recommend you guys to go check that out. Um, but specifically to start out, I want to ask you guys, cause I was raised in religion from day one and I think you guys were too, right? Yes. And now that you've come out of it and when Ben and I reconnected, uh, a month or so, was it a month or so ago? Uh, it was a right, after, couple, couple, uh, couple right after Utah, ago. right? So it'd been uh, May. Yeah. I think okay. early yeah. May. Okay. So a couple months ago. And the thing that I was surprised about was to hear that it's pretty new for you guys. Like, you've only been out of Mormonism for, like, two years, right? Three years. Three years. Three, Three years, officially. Yeah. yeah. I think it's probably been about five years since so, we... Well, for, so for me, the like, the first thing that started happened shortly. We have three kids, and it sort of the whole process of questioning anything and leaving Mormonism started right after our third child was born and he'll be six in September. So it's really easy for me to like landmark these things. I'm like, well, I know that that happened in 2013. So yeah, so it was a process, but from the, the last time we walked out of the building and never went back, it's been a little over three years. And I will say that I think that even after a year, we thought it was a long time. Like, we thought we'd been out for a while. Or that maybe even we knew things. I'll speak for myself. 
but in talking to a lot of other people who have left religion, it's and now that we've been out for three years officially, I can already see that I don't know. Like it's it is super new. I I I never thought of it necessarily like that. Like even like six months or twelve months out, I thought like it had been a while. But now talking to other people who have been out for decades, mm-hmm. it it's a completely different experience. Yeah. Yeah, that was, um, and I probably said as much when we hung out when I, I think I felt like it was toward the end when I actually got that nugget that it was only two years or three years. Right. Because I felt like, oh, you guys are like total noobs (laughs) to like freedom and life outside the church. It it does. I saw someone last night actually who, um, who I had grown up with in church and she, I have a lot of tattoos and she had a few tattoos and I knew that she had left more recently than me. And it was funny because she was like, it's been 18 months. And I'm like... That's not very long. <laughs> like, and like even three years, obviously, I'm like that isn't also very long. Yeah. <laughs> Especially when you think of how many years we were in. Yeah, <laughs> and I think that's the thing is um, because of the programming and because of I think I'm very sensitive about sort of children and the indoctrination of children. Yeah. So regardless of what that indoctrination is, it's it's tricky. It's tricky yeah. with how to raise kids and and all this, and we'll get into that later, but. Um, but we were basically indoctrinated. Yep. Um, so when you grow up with that, your first five, six, seven years of life, like it really shapes your mind and your thinking and your personality. And, um, when you come out of it at, so I was like 30, 31, 32 when I came out and you are. So that was the same as me. Like that's, that's about how old I was. And I was 36, 37. So when you've been in it for so long. It's kind of like you you have to start rewiring the neuron connections totally in your brain, yeah. but it's really hard and it takes time to undo all that has been done. Yes. You know, and, you know, I'm further along on that path than you guys. So I think I'm, I've kind of been through a, probably a lot. It's kind of like grief in a way, like going through the phases, you know, I think it's, I think it's not just kind of like, I think it is grieving along with a bunch of other things, but I think it specifically is also grieving. I mean, and you say like, it's hard to come out. That's specifically why I started going to therapy was because I felt and, um, an accurate thought or an accurate feeling was that there were gaps in my development that I didn't know. That was my concern is like, growing up in the, in a certain way and spending so long in it, what did I miss? Like, wh- where are my gaps? Like in life experience. Yeah. In like, life yeah, experience. Just yeah. in general, like what, what am I missing? What did I miss? Um, and so like I specifically went to therapy so that I could start to kind of pinpoint those things and kind of see the gaps from a, from a third party perspective. And it's been both validating that I am missing things and also like, Hey, you're a 40 year old man with children this is a thing that happens to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Like, so it's, it's been kind of both, but. Yeah. So you're able to sort of balance out that feeling of, damn, I missed out. And you get like anger and resentment and bitterness and sadness, but you're able to balance it out. Cause you're like, Oh, but I still have a good life and I have things. Yeah. I think it. for me, the balance now and, and really it's just like, well, no, only, I don't know how to say this only now matters. Like it doesn't, like, yeah, I have a bunch of experience and all these things happen, but as long as the present moment is, like, what I want it to be, or at least I can um, appreciate it, enjoy it, be in it, then, like, I think I'm okay. So I think it's taken me three years um, and longer to kind of get to a place where I feel like, oh, it's fine. Like, 
now there's new things to experience. But I don't, yeah, I, I don't necessarily feel, I don't know, I don't feel like a negative towards the past. Um, like it's in, in my time in religion, I don't, I don't really feel. I do. Um, <laughs> we have very different. I guess I don't feel like that. I like I don't. I don't I dwell sense on, that. Yeah. yeah, I don't dwell yeah. on the past in general. That's not something I think about a bunch. So it's been easy right. for me to kind of just leave it behind. And I don't say easy. It, right. it hasn't been easy, but I'm able to leave it behind and just look towards the future because that's how I am naturally. Um, so I don't feel a lot of sort of like I missed out and feel negative or angry about it. I, it took me some time, but I, I feel like I got there pretty quickly. I did not. Do you want me to just dive right into that? Go for it. So my experience being a being a woman raised in Mormonism with the idea that my whole purpose and existence essentially was to get married and have kids and be a stay-at-home mom. And this is where I was, quote, supposed to find my joy. And then being 28, 29 years old and having three kids and being miserable. And I have I have a lot of sisters. I have a lot of nieces and nephews. And I by no means thought it was going to just be this like super easy, wonderful, every day is a picnic kind of thing. But I also just felt like this was not – like this can't – this cannot be <laughs> all that was supposed to happen for me. And my parents were encouraging of me getting an education. They're highly educated people. They I were had, or they weren't? In, they were. They were encouraging. They were encouraging. Oh, for sure. And I went to college, but I didn't graduate because I didn't really like it. And I think if I – there's lots of things I've thought over the years of like how I would redo it or how I think I would have – excelled what would have been the most optimal thing for me and obviously not anyone's situation can be perfect all the way down but school still isn't something that I think would have been the right path for me and that's fine but I couldn't get myself to latch on to any sort of course of study and finish school and I got married at 19 and was just waiting and like very impatiently waiting for Ben to finish school so that we could start having kids because that was just all that I knew to do. And it would, yeah, and that's what happened. So now here I am, kids are 11, 9, and and nearly 6, and I don't, it's hard for me to just look forward and say, okay, I can't do anything about the situation from the past. Let's just keep moving forward because I feel like I have many literal reminders every single day that I feel like I didn't have control over my over my life and over my choices that I was programmed to do a certain thing I did it very 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 well and now this other person lived this life and then I woke up and here I am <laughs> responsible for responsible those for those decisions and these kids that didn't ask for this and they don't they didn't know and I didn't know when I was having them. I I didn't know that I was going to be someone again like with the optimal situation how could I have been set up for success? It probably would not have even been to have children. And I'm like if you knew then what you know now and sort of your personal views and Yeah, identity, I don't believe like... I don't believe I would have had kids. Now, do I have a great benefit from having them? For sure. Do I love them? Absolutely, but I don't know that I would choose to do that again if I could have the have that do over. It, yeah. it is not the path that leads me to, <laughs> to happiness. So yeah, I don't have quite the same positive spin, which 
is not uncommon for us to have those differences. Right, I would say that falls right in line with our general relationship and personalities. Yeah. Yeah. I get a sense of that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you feel like there's like that motherly instinct that you feel like you don't, it's not really you or... Yeah, and I have some friends who have also left Mormonism and have the same number of kids or more. And for a while, I convinced myself that everybody felt like me. And then as I spent more time with them and talked to them specifically about it, I realized that that's not true, that they get they, – they feel the same sort of frustration and they blame the Mormon church in the same way that I do in that they, they didn't feel like they had options – I, they feel that they felt the same sort of programming and, and automation towards getting married and having kids. They they that tracks with me. We're, we're similar in that. But now they're on the other side of it, and they don't have the same hmm. anger and frustration over the current situation. They've, so it's kind of like their values. We're just talking about women, right? Yeah. So like their values individually was they're cool with the motherhood thing and the kids thing, and yeah. it aligned with the church. Even though they've left the church, they're fine. They're still fine with but it. But yeah. you were only kind of doing that because it was a church thing. Yeah, and, and I it, didn't know that. Right, like right, even right. that was completely subconscious. Right. Like I had, I had no idea that that was the only reason that I was doing it. But yeah, so I that's that's been helpful to me to not feel like every woman who has children is miserable because there was a while that I was like, oh, we're all this was a scam. We all got duped. None of us wanted to do this. And now I've realized, no, that's not true. It was just me. <laughs> and there's others like me, but yeah, mostly, I mean, mostly not all of them. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. think this is the thing about individuality is that every person like, okay, so I was a virgin till 30 because I was doing the church thing and, yep. you know, and waiting till marriage and all that. And, um, once I started having sex in my 30s and left the church and all that stuff, I was like, I still looked at sex as like a two-sided coin. So on the one side is like religion and whatever those values are that are imposed on you. And the other side is just what you as an individual think about sex. Okay. Whether you like it, whether you want to go this way, straight by, whatever. Like it's just, that's just your own personal take on sexuality. Sure. You know? Um, so the religious side was thrown out for me. But then there was the other side that I just started to figure out for myself right. for the first time. Right. And I'm still trying to figure that out. Right. Like, I I don't know how, like, when you asked earlier in, on your guys' podcast, like, how spiritual of a person I am. Like, I don't know how sexual of a person I am or not. So I go back and forth, like, am I asexual? Am I just too old now? Like, is it the window? Like, I, <laughs> I missed done. my 20s. Like, that regret of, like, damn, like, my sexual problem, I just let it go because I was waiting for marriage that never happened. Right. Interesting. So there's a lot of just things floating around in my right. head and I'm like trying to figure it out. But my point is, though, is like it is a highly individual thing. Right. And I think when we come out of a programming like religion, it's tough in a way because like, oh shit, like we don't have somebody telling us anymore. Yep. Not only like I have to figure this out for myself, but I, I can <laughs> figure this out right. for myself. Right. And it's like the combination of that is like, it's it's a difficult task Yeah. to figure out uh, for yourself you know, sexuality. And that's just one example. So it's not right. just sexuality, but no, it's like... No, that's what I was going to say is that it's, yeah, it's meaning, every, you purpose. go back over every decision and it feels incredibly validating to find those decisions that you're like, oh, I would make that same decision, even without this 
sets of set of beliefs and programming, I would still make this choice. And there are millions of people who did not grow up in any sort of religious tradition who choose to have children. This is a decision that people make, mm-hmm. but it's not one that I feel like I made because I wanted to make it. I made it just because it was an automatic yeah. thing. But yeah, you go back over all these decisions and you're like, would I make this decision now? Or did I just do it because I was told to? Yeah, I mean, right. you talk about programming, and we often, like a recurring conversation we have is that we we call ourselves now, like what we were was Orthodox Mormon. Like we were pretty strict and like followed all the rules. And when we were in the church, we assumed that everyone was trying to do that. Now, some people didn't do that, and we just saw them and thought that they also thought that they were failing at being a good Mormon. But it turns out that it is very individual. Like there's a range of belief, even in, you know, a fundamentalist religion, there's a range of belief. They don't talk about it publicly, but now we know after we've gotten out that people believe all different kinds of things. We just didn't know that because the programming is so good for us that we thought that it was a one size fits all. And like, (laughs) that's how we lived it. That's how we judge other people. And to some extent that, that part, like unlearning that, like you talking about, you thought everyone thought the same way you did about motherhood, like unlearning the idea that there are individuals and there, like the range of everything is so large. You can't, the only way you can understand it is to talk to another individual, have a long conversation, mm-hmm. and then you can understand that person. But how often did that happen within the Mormon church? Like oh, people, con- open the, conversations? Oh, no. right. Yeah, no. I, didn't, I wouldn't think. Yeah, no, yeah, we yeah. wouldn't know. Yeah, um, almost never. I had some. I had some incredibly frustrating conversations with a uh, with one friend who definitely lived Mormonism very, very differently than I did. And but you never knew about it because you never openly well, talked about it while you were in it. Uh, no, I knew because they just, they were sort of open about the things that they did and didn't do, which was mind boggling to me. And I didn't understand. The assumption was that they just weren't doing it good enough, but they would, if they could, they would rather do it better. Like if that makes sense. So they were, they were aware of the like, yeah, we know we're not the greatest Mormons kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. But but the assumption on, on our part was, but they would like to be better. Okay. Always wanting or to be the... Or at least they should therefore want to be better. Therefore, it was okay you didn't judge them because they were only here instead of here. Oh, I judged the oh, shit out of them. I mean, <laughs> judgment <laughs> was my religion. Let's be very clear. Mormonism does one lots of things very well, and that is one in particular. Huh. So kind of a follow-up question is, I'm genuinely curious um, what other Mormons were like versus how you were like as Mormons because, like... I remember something you said in the Latter-day podcast where you said, whether you were then or now, like, you are a very honest person and very passionate about whatever. And when I heard that, I I thought about my sister and I, because we were also very honest and super passionate, uh, I think, in a different way than you are. Like, I don't think we ever went around judging other people, but for ourselves, I think we were really harder on ourselves. So we, we were like... It was very real to us, our faith, in the sense of this is what defines us. This is our values. This is our... And I think my sister had a lot of frustrations, and I had a lot of frustrations because I feel like we were in a Christian community where people were just super casual about it. Like, mm-hmm. there were other guy friends. They slept around. They had sex yeah. before marriage. And, like, at the same time, they would, on paper, we'd be like, oh, yeah, you're not supposed to have sex before marriage. And right. I would heed that kind of stuff. Yes. So... That was my frustrating experience is that I feel like I'm trying to be like super Christian guy. Right. Not in the sense of lording it over other people, but for the sense of like, this is my faith. This is what I believe. So I'm going to stick to it. These are my values. 
Um, but it was frustrating living amongst other Christians who were kind of like, eh, whatever, right. they're Christian, they tick the box, like, we can date, we can screw, we can whatever. And you don't feel like you were judging them? Well, I feel like it was unfair. Yeah. Because they got to do whatever they want. Why am, yes. why am I having to live to a higher standard? Right. When I say I'm not judging them, I didn't <laughs> wag my finger at them. Like I didn't. Oh, I didn't either. Well, okay. It was all internal. I didn't, or with me and Ben, it wasn't, I wasn't saying things to people. Okay. But I remember, so I was very much like you and your sister, the way you described. Like I thought that was unfair. I had friends who drank in high school and that was super frustrating to me. And when I went to college, the one year that I was at Utah State, I lived in a, an apartment with five other girls, and all of them were Mormon, and we had church 9 o'clock Sunday morning or whatever, and I was the only one that got up and went, and nobody else got up and went, and I was super confused and did not understand why they weren't going to no. church. Like, how come I'm getting up and going no. and you're not? Like, where's this disconnect of you not thinking that this is required of you to do too? <laughs> and did you – Externalize it or internalize it? And when I say externalize it, I mean kind of did wag your, say, the finger no, at them, or no. did you just feel like this no? Sucks. I don't think this isn't I. Fair. I don't think I said it. I I probably is, and especially at that time in my life, right? I'm like 18 years old, so I'm sure I passive aggressively was a total bitch at some point <laughs> to them about it. But I didn't. I was not that kind of a person. Like, have you ever seen the movie Saved? Saved. I am filled with yeah. Christ. I am filled with Spirit. God's love. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. That is one of my favorite <laughs> yeah, quotes. Yeah. And my friends and I say it all the time. Like anytime I just go down a super rabbit hole about – because I still – like I describe it as – I it, it is a coin. I was on one side of the coin and I just flipped to the other side. So I can be just as adamant now having left. And I'll say that. I, I am filled with God's love. But um, yeah, so I don't I, – I was internalizing it and – I was hard on myself, but then could make myself feel better pretty easily because I was like, well, I'm being a way better Mormon than these people. God, God will reward me for this, maybe, oh, like, in the next life. I wonder if I thought I was getting – I guess I probably – yeah, I probably did. What about you, Ben? I have such a hard time remembering what I thought anymore because, like <laughs> – It's all the, a foggy blur. Yeah, yeah I mean, for you, it, like, yeah. I don't know what – like how how I saw people, I think I definitely internalized it. Like I was more interested in my own personal sins and things that I was doing wrong. Um, I'm sure I saw other people. So doing you were it. focused on the plank in your eye, not the speck in <laughs> yeah, your brother's eye. I was a very good for you. Yeah, yeah, I was a very good. I was a very good Christian, if you can call Mormons that. Um, you can't, but if you could, you would. You were right. I don't. I, I think I was way more concerned about. Um, the things that I was doing or wasn't doing or, or trying to, and I think I'm generally that way today, even now, like more, I mean, I'm an introvert, like I'm, I'm more internalized mm -hmm. in general. So I don't, I don't think I really, I, I don't think I really cared <laughs> what other people were doing when we got married. Obviously there was a lot more discussion between the two of us about what other people were doing. Oh, and yeah. so I think I naturally latched onto that. And I don't, I wouldn't say that, like, I would ever have thought it wasn't fair that other people were doing it. I would just say what they're doing is wrong. Yeah. By the and time, yes. By the it, time we got married, that's how I viewed things. Oh, in a very classic, like, people gossip because it makes them feel better about themselves. Like, that's what I feel like we were doing. That, like, 
it, it makes you feel better about how you're performing because you're doing this, this, and this. And this if person you were to this. allow yourself to gossip in that way, that you feel like that's how you would feel. That's yeah. Why. And there's always like the well, what they you know they're having worldly and earthly joy or whatever, but this isn't going to lead to like eternal happiness for them. Like they'll re- they'll regret these mm-hmm. decisions and they'll wish that they had been more faithful and more righteous and whatever. Like I definitely felt that way. Like in high school, it was jealous. By adulthood, I wasn't jealous of them. I was just, I just made myself think, well, they won't be yeah. happy. This isn't going to lead them where they want to go. The, and yeah, it, it's crazy. Like and all these it absolutely was going to well, lead them where they wanted yeah, to go because that's where they wanted but to it, go. It's so reaffirming. Yeah. To, I mean, this is not to get into proselytizing, but like it's reaffirming to make yourself feel like the decisions you are making are going to lead to a better thing, right? So you continuously reaffirm that through various methods and one of those is judging others by saying well they're not going to be as happy i will be happier and i someone said to me recently about proselytizing the reason people share and want other people to be christian mormon whatever the thing is because it reaffirms your own beliefs like Mm -hmm. hey i get someone else to do it that means they believe it that means that what i'm believing is true or whatever thing It, it yeah, I mean, we're all just trying to protect our our space, right, and how we feel about ourselves. So, I think that's it's kind of like more if, more if more people are on your team too. That means, right. like, yes. oh, our team's winning. Yeah, and, yeah right. Know. We must be right because look at all these people that are over here on our right. side for sure, for sure. And <sighs> and most of our friends, like after we got married in the the decade of adulthood, if you want to even call it that that we were still Mormon. Most of our friends were just, they were like us. They went to church every single week, just like we did. And we went to the Mormon temple and we did all the things. So by that point, they were all just like us. And yeah, just all being self-righteous pricks. I am filled with Christ's love. God. (laughs) Maybe. We didn't, we didn't talk. You don't talk about that too much in public society in mormonism right i mean you you do but it's always from like this like how can we help this person you know like that perspective like oh they're they're not coming to church or they're not volunteering enough or or whatever the thing they're not doing enough of so you would gently approach them in that way so it was always so it's always floats up to like a leadership level like where like you're in a you have group leadership meetings like the leadership of the congregation get together and discuss the families in the congregation and how you can help them and so it's always done from quote love Uh and uh, I mean, it just really comes down to like wanting other people to help out as much as you're helping you know, out. Yeah, it almost kind of reminds me of Office Space where he's like, okay, but some people choose to wear more and we encourage that. Okay? Yeah. You know, some of us choose to wear more and that's kind <laughs> yeah, of I mean, encouraged. Definitely you know? passive aggressive. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I think everybody prefers that because the aggressive aggressive is always so ugly. Right. I am filled with Christ's love. And it gets to the point where you're like, that's not really Christian to be that Mm -hmm. way. So I think passive aggressive is... Don't actually throw the Bible at them, literally. (laughs) Right, Right, Mandy Moore. Don't. But yeah, I mean, we were talked about in those kinds of meetings on our way out. How can we we help the edgels? And we had a friend who was like sort of our little mole in these meetings. And his line was, they don't need any help. They're fine. But they, no one believed that. It was like, but, no, they're not coming to church. They must need help. How can we help them? And he's like, they don't need any help. We they're had, fine. Really? We had very, is that friend still in the church? or is He He out? goes, but he doesn't believe yeah. at all. We have That's the appropriate face. I wish everyone could see the face you just made. It's just this why. <laughs> it's so, it's so complex, though. When there's family involved, I, 
I, yeah, I agree. I get it. I get it. For yeah. me, right. having made the decision, and like it's generally been okay, right? Like things have been good in life still. Some people don't have that experience. Yeah. We were talking last night to some people who are still, um, people are still amazed that we are still married. Because, it, well, that was the miracle when you and I first talked a couple months ago. Yeah. Is that you both came out of it together? Yeah. So I talked to two sisters, like, and they wow, both that's... have gotten divorced since leaving the church. And they looked at me, and they're like, "We're both divorced." And well, then they pointed at me, did... and I was like, "Ben's there. We're still married." <laughs> they were like, "What?" But How? did they get divorced because only one of them left? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yes. Right. Right. I mean, in, yeah. many, so, yeah. in many cases, people that both leave also get divorced. So like, really? Yes. Like people again, I, it's I, back to the decision thing. I would think Being, that would be such a shared experience. It so is, it would be a but bond. then you get to go back over all of the decisions that you've made. And I know so many couples that it was like they had so much pressure to get married that they just basically found someone that checked all the boxes mm. and they got married and they didn't have anything in common or they mm. don't have anything in common now. They didn't grow together. They were never friends. Whatever it is. So as you're going through this inventory of all the decisions that you've made, you're like. Well, this isn't one that I would make again. Wow, okay. And they don't and they don't stay together. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. It's like they finally have the green light, the, right. the okay to just Which is go why their own way and we just think it's we don't know what the universe has in store. We think maybe this is some sort of joke that we've made it out together, <laughs> that there's gonna be some other like anvil that will fall from the sky at some other point because it doesn't it's it's weird. We, it's luck. We yeah, I mean, anything. at this point, I, I do want to give us credit for, like... Codependency? It, yeah, that's super well, right. Right. <laughs> it, it does come naturally to us to, to be hyper-communicative. Right. And it is natural. Like, we, we were always friends first. Like, right. we were always friends. So, like, we have that going for us, and that continues to work. But we... We also continue to work at our relationship. We do. It's not, and I think even more so now, less taking it for granted because we're, I we are continuing <laughs> to choose monogamy with each other. And I hate to say that as in only ever having been monogamous because it doesn't really, it's not that valid. It doesn't count. But we like to reassure ourselves with that <laughs> as we go along. So, yeah, I don't, who knows what's next? But I mean, I think that we've built something and we're continuing to build it. So. For now, it works. Yep. Okay, which is a great segue into my next question, which is a kind of a series of questions. But I was thinking about this this week as I was kind of you know brain researching and brainstorming about this talk, and I was like, essentially, all you guys have known is married life in your adult life, and all I've known is single life in my adult life. So, factoring that in, I'm curious what. Well, there's a lot of different ways you could answer this. So. One of the ways I was going to ask it is just in general, like sort of why do we do what we do? Why is it important to us? Um, why dress a certain way? Why act a certain way? Because I can answer these questions in terms of a single person. You know, for me, even back in my 20s when I was a Christian or whatever, like just as a single person, I essentially was just on that track of making myself into a catch, right? So like I want to be with a high quality woman I have to be high quality myself. So, and I think this is the the motivating factor for a lot of men, uh, straight men, and you know, in America, is uh, you want to be the best man in order to get a great girl. Uh, so I was kind of on that track, and then when I look back, I think that was a lot of my motivating factors, right? So. I'm kind of like, you guys don't know anything about Tinder and the dating apps. And <laughs> we learned whole, a little bit about it last <laughs> week. Just, yeah. just this yeah. whole evolution. Because right. before Tinder, there was like OkCupid okay, and dating sites and other things. So I've been through that whole thing. Sure. So I kind of know what that experience is like in terms of religion and coming out of it and what motivates me. 
Um, but I'm curious about you guys. Like, you can feel free to answer this in any way you hmm. want to answer it. But whether you want to talk about religion or not, or leaving Mormonism, but like, kind of what motivates you individually and as a as parents and as a married couple. Do you want to go first? Do you want me to go first? If you're ready, go. So I I motherhood I think is it's funny that this is my answer, but it kind of is because. I have a unique outlook as far as this isn't what I would choose again to be doing. And so Ben and I are both one of seven kids. I'm the youngest of seven kids. And any number of children and any birth order is going to impact the person, right? I feel like I'm particularly attached to the fact that I'm the youngest of seven kids. And that was a very big identifier for me. So I have looked at how I was treated by my siblings and how I was treated by my parents and for good and bad within Mormonism, like what you want to attach to that and attribute to that. So now here I am in my 30s with three kids and I've gotten to rethink why I teach them the things that I teach them, the way that I teach them, the way that I talk to them and the kind of example that I want to give to them and model that I would like to be for them. So that is like a, that's a really big thing for me that informs it. And like, I thought of it because you said how you dress, like I have tattoos. I dress a little bit different than the other suburban moms where we live. I have some ridiculous hair. And, but part of that is because I want my kids to know that I am a person, that I'm not just their mom, that I have an identity that that exists outside of being a mom. And that wasn't something that was modeled for me by my mother or by any of my Mormon friends' moms. None of my friends' moms worked. They all were just stay-at-home moms of a billion kids. So I want my kids to see that I am a person and have my own individuality and that they can have their own individuality. I want them to feel way freer than – I mean, there's, there's swings in society, right? But, like, there's a certain part that wants them to be this – perfect little thing in a box and I want them to feel like they don't have to be that way if that's not what suits them that that's just not an expectation that's held in our house or by me specifically so that informs a lot of how I go through my like daily decisions I think for me what motivates me so I think that in growing up I like I both naturally and by nurture, I was very much a um, member of a team community. Like that, that's kind of what I saw myself as. And I don't, so there's, there's two parts of this. Like both on one side, I want everyone to get along. Like I want to be part of the team, the community. Aren't you like the peacemaker? I, right. Yes, <laughs> that's that's yes. my Enneagram type. And this I, is not a podcast about the <laughs> Enneagram. Not that this is a podcast about the Enneagram. <laughs> um, I, I fully identify with that. And I and for the longest time, thought that was a really good thing. And I still think that there is definitely yeah. positives to that. So asking a question about the individual and me as an individual, I don't think that I ever thought of that uh, until recently, like the last few years. Like what motivates you or why are you doing what you do? And yeah, it was always like just achieving the thing. Like, right, right. There was a standard that I needed to live by, you know, when, when it was Mormonism, it was the Mormonism, uh, standard and as leaving Mormonism, 
I don't know. I've hopped around to different standards that I'm trying to live by. Just It's just been seriously in the last six months to a year with Enneagram work and therapy in talking about me, what I want, right. who I am, who am I, and actually asking myself that question. I think I've come to the conclusion that that question doesn't matter other than that I'm not going to, I guess the question doesn't matter because I'm never going to figure that out. Like there's never going to be like a, this yeah, is exactly. Yeah, it's like you arrived at the answer to right, the question and right, that's it. Forever. Yeah, right. Like, right. oh, here I am. Like, and I think previous to learning that I, there was no answer, I thought there was an answer only because previously I was a member of community. That was the answer. Like that was what everything was kind of geared towards. And then I was married even after Mormonism, I was still married and like, we were a team, like we were together, like we did everything together. And it's just been in the last little bit that I've said, well, okay, I don't necessarily know who I am, but my motivating factor now is just, I, I don't know, the erotic to go back to the, uh, like what, and maybe, I don't know if I defined it on your podcast. Maybe I should. <laughs> Everyone should go listen to the Your Friends podcast. And that is a teaser um, right there. Listen but, about the erotic. But, but like just looking for the wonder, the mystery, like the unknown, just continuing to kind of wander and wonder, like just kind of feel my way around. And I think that's where I feel most comfortable and that's what I like the most. And so I don't know if that it describes a motivated motivation for me other than that I am motivated by um, novelty, newness, learning things, exploration, curiosity, right. Like, knowledge, like, right. That's, that's who I think this current iteration of myself is and that that's what I feel comfortable doing. So it, it, it's almost like an anti-motivation. Like I have to kind of, I have to restrict myself from setting a standard and then trying to meet it and then failing. Like I, I have a lot of that because of, um, because of religion. And so the thing for me right now that's motivating is not worrying about that and just kind of seeing how things go and being comfortable and just kind of wandering around. And I like that. And, and when I'm able to do that, when I'm able to align, I feel like that's when I feel best. So I don't know if that's an answer, but oh, yeah, yeah. that's how I feel. I feel similarly. Like I, um, my motivation, my motivating factors have changed in terms of, I feel like a, a lot of what you're talking about too is like, it's like being on a track for both of you. Like you're being on a track and you're just, you know, you're on that path and that's the path that everybody's on and you just do that. That's yep. life. And we've stepped off of that track and it's scary, but at the same time, it can be a lot more fulfilling if we can kind of figure it out. Right. And it's it's a process of joy and frustration and setbacks, figuring out who you are and what you want out of life. But I feel like this is the necessary path for each of us. And it's a shame in a way that it's it's only so late in life that we're starting that journey in a way. But it's good that we're on that path of self-discovery. and Right. And for me, I think figuring out that like the setbacks are part of like that's part of the path and yeah. not like a failure of any kind. No, it's yeah. just like, it's not a yeah. flaw. It's a feature. Right. You, you cycle through, like you, you, you do the things and you do them over. Like I've been listening to a lot of Alan Watts lately, <laughs> which, will <laughs> I know, send, I which will send you into a place. But like he said, like the apple tree apples, the, the, the earth peoples. And I, now I've gotten to saying like, well, I'm Ben, I'm Benning. Like that, yeah. that's like, that's just what, makes sense to me now. It's like, I'm just doing the thing that I do. Um, I don't know how long that'll last, but that's the exciting thing I think is that, um, being okay with the setbacks and taking 
taking a lot of pleasure in the joy and the, um, like the exhilaration of doing new things and, and finding my own path. Yeah, yeah. totally. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, another little follow-up question is, uh, so my sister and I were talking about this and Christianity that her and I grew up with versus Mormonism. And she said to me, like, I think Mormonism is way more of a cult than what we had. I believe it. And um, I was like, yeah, I, I think I agree. Probably <laughs> was. So I'm curious, like, because I don't know a ton about Mormonism, but, you know, are there things about it that you feel like have stuck with you that are influencing, that continue to influence, like, kind of remnants of who you are and it's carrying forward? Like, things that you're ac actively trying to deprogram or maybe things mm. that you're not aware of that are... So the, the judgment for me is, is big. Um, I think I, there's so much of a us versus them that, I mean, at any point in my life, if you would have asked me to tell you three things about, like as a kid, for instance, tell us three interesting facts about you. It was like, I'm the youngest of seven, I'm Mormon and I do gymnastics or something. You know, like these would have been, these would have been my identifiers. And they consider themselves to be like a chosen peculiar people. That's what Mormons call themselves. And so, and they think that they have the one true. I mean, I, I obviously have come to discover that not, that everybody <laughs> thinks yeah, that every, about every their own is the one true religion. Some are more right. expansive than others. Sure. Mormonism is pretty, pretty narrow about it's what the It's extremely specific. Is. And so. Wait, wait. I, so do Mormons think that Catholics and other Christians are going to hell oh yeah no well, they're hell. not they're not going to the highest level of heaven okay because there's there's levels to okay. this <laughs> so we're going to some different planet or yep. something but yep but, but we're not gonna be like burning in hell or something no, 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 no you won't make hell. it to the highest either okay but you, yeah you just can't <laughs> so i definitely like not only was i different i was better than people so that's and I naturally, my personality really likes to be special and different and unique. And so it fed right into that. And I didn't live in Utah. So I was special and unique because there weren't a lot of other Mormons. And so that's how I was able to sort of make it work in my head is that I was still getting these, this validation and, and not praise, but sometimes praise, um, for being, for being different, for being special. So I, I, I am constantly trying to reprogram myself from categorizing people. But that must have been tough, right? Because what made you special? Because the only of the things that you listed was gymnastics, right? Like other other thing else is just kind of predefined for you, right? Well, but like not everyone. Well, like I said, living here. So I grew up in Northern Virginia, where except for my other Mormon friends, nobody was part of a big family. And nobody was even religious, probably. So those just seemed it's they, they were special. And within Mormonism, it was like I could be special there because of how how like so I'm an extrovert, which Mormonism loves and rewards extroversion because you want to lead. And mm. even the I'm, women. Yes, because now we can't lead over men. Mm -hmm. <laughs> But, but you could lead Bible studies for but children I could or lead, something. I could do I, – so I – and I have used this in my life outside of religion. I am really good with teenagers. So I was able to lead these groups of teenagers. And then I would have parents that would come up to me and thank me for the role I was – like this positive influence that I was playing in their 
in their teenage daughter's life or whatever it was. So I was getting validation there from just being being young, being well-spoken, and being outgoing and extroverted and like had a command of the situation, which was is not always common for a 21, 22-year-old or however old I was when I was leading these groups. So I was getting it there. Um, but yeah, constantly just like, how can I be, They it fosters a how can I be better than everybody else? How can I do Mormonism better than everybody else? And that's why people have so many kids because they wanted- You're trying to one up each oh, other? Oh, yes. You birth okay. your freaking way into <laughs> heaven. And I had three kids and was like, I can't, like, I thought three kids, when I, when I, like my friends who only had three kids, I looked down on them big time. Like, that's not enough children. That's not like- Wait, you looked down on them? Yes. But you had... Well, because I wasn't done yet. So, like, I was planning oh, on having more we kids. We were going to still have more than them. <laughs> we were going to have more kids. And so when I had, like, friends that were maybe, like, a few years older than me who were done, they were like, we have three uh, and we're done. I was like, that's not enough kids. Uh, you have to have more kids than that. <laughs> that's I know. And, and I am not proud of any <laughs> of this. It was terrible, and I've said a lot of apologies. God forbid if they only have one or two. Like... Oh, they must have had fertility issues. I legitimately did not think that there was... a a single Mormon woman on the earth who chose to yeah. only have one or two kids. Yeah. If she did, there was something wrong. Like she didn't get the memo. Huh. Like a, yeah. It's bananas. <laughs> this is where the cult mentality comes. <laughs> yeah. In. I know. Big time. So I'm trying to reprogramming the fact that I'm not better than other people. <laughs> I'm just a person <laughs> and everybody else is just a person. My reprogram. I think so. I think. I have a lot of negative self chatter. Like going back to the like, I have a, two things, and they kind of they're they're kind of combined. Goal setting, like a standard, and going towards it, and like being meticulous and like tracking how well I'm doing against something, and and inevitably failing. And then, by the way, having negative a lot of negative self talk because I'm not meeting those goals. I think that is what I am. I have been and am currently like working on like. I, I, this is kind of weird because I just think I found like realized this the other day. Like in the morning, like taking a shower every day, I'd be like, "Oh well, I did this thing yet. Like I ate this thing yesterday, or I didn't exercise yesterday, and like, or I didn't meditate yesterday." So like, I would just have like, it, like constantly going through the checklist of things I was even after Mormonism. Like, oh, well, I'm supposed to be doing all these things, and like, oh man, I didn't do them yesterday, and like starting to like feel bad about it. And like putting myself in a very negative place. And so now like I'm at least noticing that and saying, Hey, it's fine. You're just, you're doing what you do. Like this is, this is good. You forgot to do that. Now you can do it again and feel how good it feels to do this thing again or whatever other talk. But that like, is a very conscious reprogramming of just my, my self chatter and talk mm -hmm. in my head. I think that's probably the thing that I've held on to that I'm still trying to reprogram. I mean, I'm do sure you, there'll be other things. Do too. you ascribe that kind of to Mormonism or is that just like a you thing? Oh, I'm or, sure it's both. Like, yeah. I feel like any controlling organization will take the worst of you and mm -hmm. pit it against you yeah. and take the best of you and mute it or use it to their advantage. Yep. And I, that's yeah. really what I'm seeing. Like, I, again, I'm a peacemaker. Like, I, I'm really good at bringing people together and like, like th this is what I do well, but the way it was turned is that I completely forgot about myself or, or was able to like, like express myself, I guess. And, and so, but that, but that's good in that sense. Like I, I was always, I was, I'm not, I'm an introvert. 
So I always had a very hard time with Mormonism in that like the alpha male leader was the goal. Like that's what you were supposed right. to be. And I was in some leadership positions, but it never felt natural to me and I didn't like it. But I'm a really good like number two. Mm-hmm. Like I'm good at like getting the group together, sort of like helping helping people point to the leader. Like like that's something that I'm actually good at. But I do feel like it was used for ill because like <laughs> I'm sort of like uh, because I am so likable with people, like I'm, I'm sort of like a spy among the lay people, like pushing them towards the leader. Um, it's kind of weird stuff that like kind of goes through my head now about like my natural abilities and, and how I kind of use them in that, in that, uh, environment. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm with you on the, um, the negative self-talk. Like I've, I've just been terrible about that over the years and i think you and i have chatted a little bit on instagram and some of my confusionity posts are like anything good that you do or anything like that's god yep every time you fuck up that's you yeah yeah and i it's just ah like i just i don't know how that's not a recipe for making people feel miserable and and i think either my analysis of it is that people just didn't think that deeply about it in Christian church where they're just like, eh, whatever. But my sister and I would take that kind of stuff very deeply and feel really shitty about ourselves. Yeah. And, you know, we're not good enough. We're never, you know. So the way to feel this is where I was different is I would feel shitty about myself and then I would just judge someone who was doing worse than me and then I would feel okay. Yeah, pick yourself up. Right. Yeah. Yep. So that's happening a lot yeah. Still, <laughs> for a lot of people. Like, no, I just mean like for a lot of people, like you said, you and your sister felt really badly and other, you didn't think that other people were. Well, it's because they were either judging other people and making themselves feel better, mm-hmm. which I think happens all the time, or maybe they really just weren't thinking about it that seriously. Yeah. But or, and, and I'm interested in why particular people and all of us are included in this. Like, why was it so ingrained like why why did I, that why did that make sense for I, us so I, much i attribute it to the whole childhood like because it was just ingrained in us at a young age that <gasps> in our family and our network and our like identity have, but like he's got a sister for instance she was raised in the same family as him and by the time she was like 17 18 she was like uh-uh this isn't i think you should be careful about saying the same family as me okay because it's not the same family <laughs> i grew up with a mom and a dad and in the upper part right, of the fair. siblings, she grew up with, at least in her formative teenage years, without a dad. Mm. And so, like, that, it's a very much a different dynamic. Okay. I'm not saying that she wouldn't have turned no, no, out no. a different right. way. But I just think it, it's... There are again, other mitigating factors. Getting, getting to, right. like, because I think what we're talking about all this here is nuance and the individual. Yeah. Like, I think everyone's experience is different, especially when there's big changes in the environment. Yeah. Um, again, not that she, she is a different kind of person and I don't know if it's all environment or, um, if it's her nature, but she could have turned out the same way anyway. And it seems like she would have because she's just, she's just a beautifully different person. Mm -hmm. Um, but anyway, I don't, I don't mean derail us on that, Mm -hmm. but I I like, I like to, I like to get into the the details because I think that's, what's most interesting about human beings is that, we all have a completely different experience. Like it's just, and it's almost, I mean, this is why art is so important, right? To try to express the unexpressible in a way that other people can under, well, can at least interpret in their own, interpret in their own way. Um, anyway. Yeah. I was, um, when we're talking about like, why did we stay in it for so long? Like, why didn't we snap out of it? And I was like, but this is the nature of a cult and the nature of religion is 
it's reinforced yep. in my skull every week. Yes. And you read the verse of suffering. Blessed are the suffering yeah. and the poor. And I'm like, oh, I'm suffering. I'm miserable. Oh, but that's a good thing. Right. Yeah. And you just into that loop every week for your teens, for your 20s. Yep. Like, it's just when you put it like that and you put it all together, it's like, of course, it's not going to be easy right. for us to walk away. Right. Well, it's a it's a it's it's a miracle the other way. Like, yeah. How did you get how out? Did, well, yeah. and, like, and how like, did it happen? Yeah. I mean, and, and for I, us, and this... I think that was interesting when you were saying earlier about how you were miserable as the mother, uh -huh. and you were like, and I I, I find it interesting because it's like we almost kind of left for the same kind of reason, <laughs> except it was the inverse. Right. I was miserable as a single person yeah. wanting to be married. You were yeah. miserable as a mother of three. Yeah. But we were. The point is, we were steeped in religion. Yes. We were miserable. And yes. We, it was. I don't know if it felt like a rock bottom for you, but it felt like a rock bottom for me. I would say that it did. And I definitely, I like to hold two different things as true. I was miserable and I also for sure had postpartum depression. So my still believing and very religious family, I think wants to say, to explain it away like that, that it's unfortunate that I didn't just make it through that tough time. Because it was Did really. Did you only feel that after the third child, or? Um, like... I mean, I, to varying degrees after each one. It's obviously it's not easy, and you're super sleep deprived, and it's terrible, <laughs> with pockets of joy. But it gets it got worse, I think, with every single one, and also because then you have more children to take care of. Yeah. So I think I definitely have family and probably friends even that wish that I could have just you know waited it out, powered through, whatever. That I didn't need to make such a drastic life change because of that well it's both things are true like i had i believe i had postpartum and i also believe that then i found out that the church wasn't true and i needed to leave like both things right. are true yeah so here's a question i have for you is so we we have talked a lot about mental health and been very open in our marriage about that but not I don't think we were talking about postpartum depression then. No. Maybe in severe cases of other people where like drastic things have happened. But I don't think we were talking about it in, in our marriage, especially after having kids. Even though it was definitely happening, you know. Yeah. It, it, and I think it happens more often than we, than any of us realize. I wonder if you had identified it as postpartum and then gone and been medicated or something mm. like you'd taken steps to kind of dull it a little bit if that would have changed your trajectory. Maybe, except for that we, our, our path to unbelief and out of the church, they sort of like weaved in and out of each other. We were going at the same speed, but sort of on different paths. And so even if I hadn't had that first, my own first step, which was being miserable at, at home with three little kids, you still would have come home and told me whatever it was you came home and told me. And then that I think would have set me on it. So I don't know that like motherhood was my, was that first domino that fell, but I think I still would have, because again, ultimately it didn't come down to the fact that, Oh, Mormonism is making me be a mom. I have to leave Mormonism so that I don't have to be a mom anymore. It was, this isn't true. Yeah. Why am I living my life this way? Yeah. Like how quickly did you like, right. How quickly were you able to arrive at, it doesn't matter it because doesn't, right. it's true anyway. So right. like I can do what I want. Like what, what yeah. was the gap between the first feeling and then arriving right. at that final place where you could say, well, that's fine. Even if, you know, A, B and C are still in place at the end of the day, this is not true, so I can right. do what I want. So this made me – I have a friend who is 36, and she is single. She's never been married. 
and she left the church about five years ago. And the reason that she left the church is she went and she looked around. She was not miserable being single. She was being told that she should be miserable because she was single. And she was looking around at all of the mothers with their little kids and thought, they're They're all miserable. miserable. Hmm. I'm actually not miserable. Hmm. And everyone thinks I am. And they're all pitying me. And they think that I should feel terrible. I actually am totally okay, but you know who is super sad is all these women that are following the the path, and mm-hmm. she's like, I got to get out of here. Wow. <laughs> and that's what led her to leave. Yeah. She was like, uh-uh, that's not, their answer's wrong. They got it backwards. <laughs> I would like to give a general plug for being a parent of small children, specifically a mother, being very difficult. It's so hard. Regardless of your situation, yes. regardless of your <laughs> affiliation, yeah. parenting small children is a difficult time of it life. Is. It's not <laughs> joyous for anyone. Yeah. I mean, they're little animals. Yeah. <laughs> like it, it, Tyrants. Yeah. Yeah, I was. Um, <clears throat> it's funny you say that about your friend. Uh, is she still single and whatever she doing is. her thing? Yeah. So I felt a little bit. I've gotten. I didn't used to feel that way when I was in the really like I mm-hmm. felt. I I bought into the whole yeah. miserable thing as a single person because like I, I was incomplete. Yeah. You know. So I bought into all that, and every week it was preached to me, and I was miserable and lonely. But now I'm probably more where your friend is back then. But now I'm there where I'm like, I went out for July Fourth. My mom and sister came up to visit in philly and i'm an introvert it's a hot muggy day out i'm like we got this I'm, i have a really great place like let's just watch a movie and let's watch them this is us let's like hang out have a good conversation but my sister noted the firework options or whatever and there was like megan trainer was gonna uh-huh. be, and my mom was like oh megan trainer <laughs> and and my sister and i are like because my mom i'm not gonna get into her situation that's a whole podcast episode but I mean, we want she's to... a woman. How old is your mother? Probably you know? sixty-five. Okay, you and know. she knows who Megan Trainer is and wants to go see her. Yeah. So I can imagine that that's a whole podcast. Episode. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, the thing is, is like my mom has lived a very sacrificial life. Sure. And my sister and I both know that. And any time we have a little opportunity, because my mom never asks for anything. Right. She never. She just sucks it up and suffers and. Yeah. All of Women that. of a certain age Women. and religion. Yeah. 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 So yeah. this is a little opportunity where I'm like, hey, this is something that might we make can, my mom. Yeah. Let's go. Let's go to that thing. Yeah. And my sister and I, we didn't even say it. We both just knew. Aww, like, that's let's so go. Good. So we went and we did that thing. And it was honestly lame. <laughs> lame as fuck. And even when we, all was said and done and we talked about it with my mom, she was like, yeah, it was kind of lame. Aww, but, but, but she's glad she knew sure. that. I didn't really want to of do course. it. Right. And she was like, but I'm glad you went along with it. Yeah. And you didn't complain and fuss because that's what my dad would do. Oh. He would he would make my mom miserable because he would just complain the whole time. Sure. And, and she was glad that that we did it. And so I was happy for that. Yeah. But I also texted Jose at the same time I was there. I was like, dude, I'm I'm so glad I'm not married with a, with kids. And because I live such a life, like yes. a sweet life, where every day I wake up now and I do whatever the hell I want to do, and yes. it's freaking awesome. Tell me more about it. It and sounds like yeah. a dream. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is serious. This I is seriously. We're talking about, about eroticism. Like, yeah, yeah, tell yeah. us more about this single life. Please never stop right. telling me about this fantasy I have. This is your new point. <laughs> yeah. A podcast about the single life. Yeah. I um, look up apartments way more often than you would know. What is but, it like to drink a cup of coffee by yourself? <laughs> yeah. But it, it occurred to me, I was like, I was looking at all these families and couples and people around and I'm like, 
I used to be so jealous of all right. that. Just, and now I'm like, I'm so glad I'm not married with kids because I was in an environment where I was grossed out. I was sticky. It was loud. It was like a crappy view of this digital screen of Megan Trainer, who I don't even care about over there. And it's like the fireworks were totally lame. It was like the <laughs> lamest fireworks show. It was like, and then we that we couldn't get an Uber, and we had to walk through like there's some sketchy neighborhoods in Philly. Yeah. And I'm like with my 65 year old mom and my sister and me, and we're walking through these sketchy neighborhoods for like. I don't know, like two miles. We probably walked like four miles. So I'm like stressed. Yeah. I'm worried about my mom. I'm worried about if some thug jumps out with a gun or a knife. And I'm like, I'm going to be the one who has to protect <laughs> my mom and sister. Right. And I'm not like BJJ guy, like <laughs> our AOC friend. You know, so I'm, but I'm going to do the best I can, you know? So I'm like, I'm stressed out. And I'm like, I just want to hurry up and get there, get back home safe. Um, so the whole thing about it, you know, but I'm, I'm just overcome with that feeling of like, thank God or, you know, that I don't have to do this all the time. Yeah. Like I can make an allowance for this one day or whatever. But I'm like, if I were married with kids, I would constantly be doing things I don't want to do. That is what being a parent is, is constantly doing things that you don't want to do. Or as we discussed earlier, not doing things you don't want to do and then feeling like kind of guilty about like being selfish because you don't because you know going to the fireworks in the hot weather is going to be shitty and you don't want to do it so you don't do it but then you're like well i should take my kids to see fireworks right so like not only do you have to uh, if you (laughs) You can't if you do do the thing it's terrible if you don't do the thing you you feel a certain way about it um but yeah no i mean yeah (laughs) but i'd like to go just like what a beautiful moment that you get to sacrifice or what I mean whatever for your mom and she knows but it's sort of unspoken I just really like that idea of you getting to do this thing for someone I mean and that's what life's about in general right like is doing something for someone not because you have to but because you want to and them kind of knowing where you're like your heart Mm -hmm. is in in the the right place I I think that's beautiful that is beautiful yeah All right, what do we got here? All right, how do I transition into this? So um, there's a lot of parallels with our stories, and there's a lot of similarities and stuff. At the same time, there's a lot of differences. And I feel like it's two people or three people who have come out of religion. It's different for each of us. And how we go about that individual journey is different amongst all three of us. But I noticed like on social media, like things I see you post and mm-hmm. like I'm I'm always like a little bit veiled about certain views I have because sure. in the society that we live in now, I feel like I'm not allowed to say certain things. Okay. And even with this podcast and and I feel like I don't believe in religion and God and things like that anymore. But if there's any principle I believe in now, it's free speech. Okay. Because, like I might have said on you guys' podcast, like I'm a, or maybe it was on the car, like I'm a very skeptical person and I'm very skeptical of power and institutions and sure. any kind of body of whether it's the government, whether it's the church, like after everything I've been through, I'm very skeptical and I'm very like untrusting of any sort of institution or cult-like mentality, uh, which is why I don't really, I'm very much an individual and I... I don't very easily join a group right. or a movement of any sort. 
Um, which is kind of a lot of what Confucianity is about. Is like I'm I'm basically bringing in a number of different viewpoints, and I kind of absorb things, but at the same time, I take in information and I allow it to influence what I believe and what I think. But ultimately, it's kind of my decision to sort of decide like what direction I want to run with it. Right. So I wanted to talk with you about kind of this whole social justice movement because it worries me. Like it, it stresses me out. It concerns me. And in what I, in what way? Yeah. Like why? Well, because again, if my core principle is freedom of speech, okay, and I feel like that is being curtailed, and I'm not allowed to say things, that's why it stresses me out. Who is curtailing it? It's it's this movement, and I'll just just. People. Yeah, but I'll um I'll get I'll get into specific examples. I but... love specific examples. <laughs> They're my favorite. So, um, and maybe this is a good way to start it out because we both have a shared interest in uh, crashing. Yeah. The show. Uh huh. So um, I loved that show. It's great. You, you guys love it. Love it. And, but I want to bring up like the specific moment in episode where they're performing for on college campuses. Uh-huh. And there's that whole like PC like you're not allowed to broach certain subjects, right. you're not allowed to And I'm watching it and I'm like, you know, I like Pete Holmes, but I love the show, but it's not because I like his comedy. Like okay. I I watched the show and it wasn't a lot of the the stand-up comedy bits that made me laugh. Right. It was the real life yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. that yeah, made yeah. me laugh yeah. and the specifically about coming out of religion and yeah. those things. But I think to the moment where he's towing the line uh-huh. and, like, doing what he's supposed to do, and he gets the gig, and he gets the, the money, and he gets the... Because he's, yeah. he's, he's going according the to the right. program. Whereas she is like, fuck it. Like, I'm going to say what I want to do and be my, do, do my material. Right. And she gets punished for it and shut down and ostracized and all that. And this is kind of what I'm talking about, is that... I feel like we're we're starting to live. I don't want to say starting to. It was like we're living in this society now where you just can't say certain things. You have to stick within this, uh, what's it, safe space kind of non-triggering language and values. Well, you don't have to. You don't have to stay in that. Space. Well, you you don't. But the consequences you will pay of being deplatformed. Of being banned, okay. of being that's what like so I sent a couple links and the uh-huh. third link I think was a girl uh, yeah. who was banned from Twitter recently because she got into a back and forth with a trans woman and you're not allowed to do that and you know she got banned. Well, what'd she say? I mean, because going having a back and forth with with yeah. the trans person, there's nothing wrong with that, right? But I think the trans it it got into sort of a name calling back and forth thing and. I think this girl has some kind of uh, reproductive condition or something with her uterus. And the trans woman was calling that out and insulting her about it. And I'm sure that triggered her in a lot of ways. And she fired back with like basically referring he's overweight or she's overweight. So she was like, you fat, ugly man or whatever. So that was enough to get her banned. And I think she even deleted the tweets because maybe she felt bad about it when she contacted her. But it was too late. She's already banned. So this is just an example. And I'm like, the thing that concerns me is that there's also the Islam 
thing, right? So like now we're reaching a point where you're not allowed to say anything bad about Islam because all of a sudden you're labeled Islamophobic. And I don't talk a lot about Islam in Confucianity, but that's partially because I don't know a lot about it. Right. And I recently bought a Quran specifically for oh. the reason of like knowing what's in the book. Sure. So that I can can legitimately yeah. critique it and whatnot. The way that you are the Bible and yeah. whatever else. I mean, the Bible I already know inside out. Sure. So I can tear <laughs> right. the hell out of that. Right. But I can't do that with the Quran. <laughs> right. So, but my sister told me like, oh, don't even bother. Because it's just going to upset you in the same way the Bible does. And not only that, you're not going to be allowed to speak about it or they'll be like death threats on your life. Interesting. So, um, but there's a lot of, I mean, there's the Islam thing, there's the trans thing, there's the, there's all kinds of things. And it worries me because I feel like what's happening on college campuses and people being demonized for having views that are outside of the agenda as being, this is, I mean, this is the thing. I feel like the term Nazi has been, it no longer has a meaning anymore because right. they, they've literally accused Ben Shapiro, who's a Jew, right. of being a Nazi. <laughs> sure. And when that happens, the term Nazi, but right, it's, it's being right, thrown around. Right. But then when you look at it that way, but then there's the whole punch a Nazi thing right. Right. that at first everybody's on board. Like, sure. Like there's a certain <laughs> pleasure you get. Right. Yeah. And I got pleasure out of sure. seeing that Nazi punched in the head. Right. Sure. But then I'm like, wait a minute. But now they're calling Jews and anybody who has a divergent view from that right. hardcore SJW leftist movement as being a Nazi, then I see where this is going. Yeah, I think that, well, first of all, I am in no way qualified to have this kind of a conversation, but I I'll think, speak on it but anyway. I'll speak on it anyway. In I mean, the podcast ask, fashion. <laughs> yeah, I'm just making <laughs> shit up. Um, I think that, so your sister may be right. Maybe if you spoke on this thing, on those things, you would get death threats. I don't know. I also think that doesn't mean that you don't have free speech. Doesn't mean that you can't say it. There may be consequences to it. But those consequences are not th that person is not arresting you, and you are not you're not breaking a law. So no one is actually infringing upon the the right that you have to say those things. And I think that this is yet yet uh, who knows? But, I, yeah, I don't know. Well, Ben, you're way. Do you think mm -hmm. in the current environment that would be legislated? Um. It was already starting to be legislated in Canada, which right. is what set Jordan Peterson right. off. Because right. he has, and he said this, he has students who are trans and they've asked him to use a certain pronoun. He's right. had no problem referring to them by the pronoun they want. That's the real, the reality of it. Right. The issue he had is when the government was mandating language that he has to use. Right. That was where his issue was. And I think people have misunderstood that initially. I don't know if people still confuse that for him, but... They were referring to him as being anti-trans or transphobic, right. but he's really not. It's really more about free speech for him. So and, I'll say this, and this goes, this is, there are too many people and we have too much <laughs> easy access to talk to each other and it's in too short form. I think the important, the, the only thing I can say is just having, hearing other people's stories and listening to what people have to say and connecting to human beings one-on-one, -on -one, that it, it's not an answer to whether or not there's free speech, but 
I don't know how we solve the issue one way or the other if we're not talking to each other. And I mean to each other and hearing each other. Right. And I think mostly what we're seeing, and I think this is at least rational minds. I don't even want to say that. I'm not going to assume. But I think everyone's missing the point. We're, we're not seeing each other. We're not hearing each other. We're, we're unable to have technology is killing us like our, our ability to be a cohesive species because it, we're missing like you and I are looking at each other's eyes right now and There's something there. We can't mm-hmm. really describe it, but there's micro expressions in our face that we we're able to read. This is all team human stuff that, <laughs> that I am a, a big fan of. And I think that we, we miss that when we go to technology to like politics is mostly being carried out on Twitter right now. Right. You bring up, sorry, like a little aside, like you brought up Twitter and this, this young woman getting banned. And I'm just like, when the president of the country that we live in, which is how I refer to him, when he's not being banned on Twitter, I just like can't take that for like, well, what the fuck are they doing? Like, I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? Right. But my, why, my point why is, should exceptions be made for certain people and not others? Right. And, right, right. And, this right. Is, right and this is, this is the right. So, so you, we have this lack of humanity being carried out by humans. And so I don't know how we reconcile these issues if if politics at the highest level is being carried out in this um, casual, um, unprofessional, uncompassionate um, 240 characters. I forget what the new expanded <laughs> characters are. In, in this way, I don't know how we, how we have the conversation. I... I and the other part of this is that a lot of this conversation, a lot of this quote unquote free speech is being carried out on private platforms, right? These are not government platforms. We talked earlier about YouTube maybe being a monopoly. In that case, mm-hmm. maybe there's some government interaction that needs mm-hmm. to happen, right? But um, so so we have this weird interplay between a public um, a public arena. Well, that's the debate. Is like whether it should be considered a public utility, right? Like, right, it's, right. It's the it's the new town. What do you call it? The right. Town hall. Do, does yeah. should free speech on Twitter be uh, be protected by the government? Right. Like, and whether or not a private company, the these big media companies, I don't know if they're all private necessarily in ownership context, but not owned by the government, uh, can we force them to protect pre- free speech on their on their platforms? I don't know the answer to any of those questions, and this is probably unsatisfying from a like whether or not free speech is being infringed upon. I just know that the way we're carrying out um, conversation, and and this is the reason we have podcasts, right? Because we like long form conversations mm-hmm. where you can where you can talk to other people and kind of work through the nuances of things. Um, I, I don't I don't know how we get to a good place. I, and this goes back to religion. Like I think human beings are evolved to an us versus them. Like a very like from our evolutionary standpoint, we like to be part of a group, and that group needs to be protected. Our evolutionary sort of monkey brain thinks that we need to um, protect it at all costs, regardless of whether or not we agree completely with them. But like othering the other makes us feel better. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. Like that. That's. See, I I think one of the things that worries me is I feel like we live in such an echo chamber society now. And I heard this one YouTuber say the other day, uh, he pointed out how he got one comment on his video. that was like, dude, I don't like your view on this. I'm I'm unfollowing or whatever. And 
and that happens all the time sure and people mouth off about it but the guy was like of course you're not going to agree with every view that I have about everything. Like nobody agrees with right. you guys are married and you don't agree on everything, right. you know? So it was good for me to hear that. Cause I'm like, Oh yeah. Uh, right. And this same guy started, and I liked a lot of his videos, but then he posted a video about actually returning to Christianity because he became an atheist and now he's going back to it. And I'm like, <laughs> I literally want to reach out to him and have him on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, be... I really, I mean, he's got a big following, yeah. so I don't know that he'll, Right, you know, be interested in my humble beginnings, <laughs> but I would love to talk with him and have because right. I'm like, well, you posted you know. on Instagram something about free speech, and I had made some sort of comment about like, okay, can we also require that people listen? Because it's just like what both of you are saying. So all of every single one of the things that I would have held to be like fundamental core values and beliefs, most of them have changed. And all of them have changed as a result of me listening to other people's experiences. Mm-hmm. None of those things would have happened without. So there are certainly always going to be people on the fringes, and maybe not even on the fringes, that will say things that will upset other people. And there is no way to mandate that people be able to come together and have these conversations. Right. But the the quote of it's hard to hate up close it is. It's hard to say. But I'm seeing a lot of that, and I can send you a lot but of videos. But how up close like, is it? Do like these... literally people face-to-face well, on campus and events and but people. do they know? But they don't know each other just because they're physically in a in a. But how can they get to know each other if they're face-to-face and they hate each other and they're yelling at each other? And they yeah, and they yeah I, don't, I don't know. I, mean... I don't know. And there's – I just – are they going to therapy? Is like, I'm like, who hurt you? Like, that's the question yeah. that I just want to ask. Because there's always something behind that, right? There's always something that they were taught or an experience that they had that's now informing how they're right. reacting. This is how we all, this is how we go through the world. Yeah. And being able to hear the stories, especially when you have an extremely fringe belief, there's probably some stories and some people's experiences that you're missing out on. If you're if you're on such an extreme, I think. Right, like freedom of speech. It, I think both sides are scared. One side is scared that that you're not going to be able to say, like, this is how it happens, right? Like you start to infringe upon freedom of speech in a small way, and it, it expands, right? This is kind of how history has shown us, right? You start with one group, and and you can expand from that group. On the other hand, I think. Um, people are also scared that that the free speech that that is whether you call it hate speech or fringe speech or whatever, um, people are scared that a lot of people feel that way or more people will feel that way, and so they want to restrict it. There's a natural mm-hmm. feeling to want to restrict that, right? right? And for me, it, it's it's kind of scary to know that, like on one hand, we don't want it to be true, but what if it is true that that some of these fringe groups are, I mean, I think we're seeing with, with the current environment, the current president, that some of these groups that we would um, call hate groups are classified as hate groups, depending on your definition. Um, They seem a lot bigger than we, we had thought that they were before because they're being emboldened by this new environment. And so you start to get the, the people are trying to restrict speech and saying, well, that's hate speech. So you can't say it are worried that there are, that it, that those ideas are spreading and i don't know how you le- like how you legislate between the two things and 
is it a government's responsibility if you see the country going in a direction where you're like, oh, well, actually, most of us are racist and this is the direction our country's going in. But for free speech sake, we have to let it go. Or do they do they do they restrict that? Well, we still have our laws, though. And if the laws aren't being changed, then you're not allowed like free speech has its limitations built into the law right you can't incite violence right right you can't make threats you can't you know endanger people by yelling fire in a crowded you know? right right so those things are already in place so um you're worried the line is being yeah brought like further and, out. and and bringing it back to religion and christianity and, and mormonism and whatnot is like for me it's really frustrating because i live my whole life in this christian bubble where I was not allowed to be my full self. I had to constantly censor myself. Like I couldn't cuss um, when I was a kid. And there's also the idea of self-censorship, yep. which is a big deal. And it's really frustrating me as a creative person because my creative process has become really fucked up because I'm like, uh, I want to post this, but uh, this is probably going to be considered hate speech or it's going to be demonetized or it's not going to be mm. advertiser friendly. And I'm starting to reach a point where, especially with Instagram likes and followers going down, like I'm like, I'm ready to just kind of unplug and go go to a crypto platform and bit shoot and completely uncensor myself and just be my 100% true self and put that art out there into the world. Whoever hates it, hates it. Whoever likes it, likes it. It might be seven people in the world who really like it. And that's the connection I'll have in my lasting legacy in the world. But at least it'll be satisfying to me that I spoke my voice and I was creative and I got to do what I wanted to do in my life. Because all of this self-censoring stuff is really unnerving for me and it's unsatisfying. And and I felt like I finally got free of that when I left right. the church. And then now with the way our society is going, it's kind of like right-wing attacks on my freedom of speech by the conservative Christian thing. And now it's like left-wing attacks on my freedom of speech. And this is why as a person who was raised Republican Fox News guy, (laughs) and then I left that and I became a registered Democrat. I voted for Obama (laughs) and all that. Oh, at least you got that win. (laughs) And having been through all that, I'm starting to realize like, okay, my principles are kind of freedom of speech because I don't trust power uh, because absolute power corrupts, you know, absolutely is when when the right wing is in charge they're going to start saying, well, you're not allowed to cuss in your videos because that's unbiblical or whatever, or you're not allowed to have sex before marriage. And then the left. So I'm like, I'm not a fan of the left or the right. I'm just, that's why I'm kind of more of a libertarian where I'm like, I'm all about personal freedom. And that's kind of how I feel personally. It's like, look, just let me be me. Let me express myself and be who I am in the world. And that's the same standard that I apply for everybody else. Like, I don't care if you're gay. I don't care if you're trans. I don't care if you're Islamic. You can believe and do and express yourself in whatever way. And this is the thing where I'm like, I mean, you guys are white, but I'm a brown guy. I will Surprise. still. I will still. <laughs> I bet they couldn't tell. Yeah. <laughs> right. But it's funny because like my last guest, Mike, I don't know if you heard that episode. Uh-huh. Uh, Brian, he, he told me, he's like, oh, I thought he was white. Oh. He's black. Yeah. Yeah. But um, oh, yeah. So I'm a brown guy and I've encountered my fair share of racism growing up, you know, and at the same time, because I believe in the principles of freedom of speech, I still will fight for the right for a Nazi to to have a legal protest and say whatever they want to say. Right. You know, I may hate everything about right. them and everything they say, but I'll still defend their right to say it. 
You know, as soon as they start actually making a threat toward any minority group or anything, I'm like, please lock them up, <laughs> right. you know, because they're breaking the law. Right. Um, but it's freedom of speech that's important to me because I just don't feel like, like one of the things I said before, I don't know if it was like the last podcast or whatever, but it was like, I try not, I don't really get angry at people for having de- views that I might find abhorrent is because there's reasons you know, like they've had their life experience and yeah. yeah. there's a story. Is, yeah. yeah. And I, I might not like where they've ended up or where they are right now, but I understand that there's something their life brought them there. And for me to tell them you are 100% wrong, you need to shut up and you're not allowed to say that anymore. Like I'm in essence denying their existence. Like I'm denying their path in life that brought them to that point. Right. So there's that. But then the other thing is if we start censoring people who we disagree with. And I've already seen that happen now, people overusing the term Nazi and labeling anybody a Nazi if they disagree with a leftist view. That's really dangerous because then you're like, okay, well, now I'm a Nazi, you know? And I'm like, I'm not allowed to say anything. I'm like, they've already called a Jew guy a Nazi (laughs) and I'm a brown guy. Like, they'll call me a Nazi or, you know? That's why I feel like the, the ultimate principle is like, let people speak. And I've heard it put one way. It's like the solution to bad speech or the solution to hate speech is better speech, is is love speech. It's it's not to shut them down because you know what? If you take away their right to speak, yeah. you're making them into this victim and they're going to dig, burrow deep right. down and it's going to be even worse because then they're going to be assembling and doing all of this shit right. without, without not in the public sphere. At least when people are vocal out loud, we we know like, okay, well, that guy's a skinhead. And, and can also invite them to listen. Because like we said, this yeah. is how this is how the thoughts get changed. This is how we learn about each other. This is how our ideas about things expand is when we listen. So people are allowed to say that. And then like in the example that you gave, then you could also invite someone to hear your story. Like, okay, you hate brown people. I'm a brown person. Would you like to hear my story of where I came from and, yeah. and what my life was like? And you can't make them listen. That's why I said that. I was like, well, I would love it if well, we could if we could yeah, mandate I mean, listening. Yeah, you can't on force so- them. No, you can't. But the only way they can listen is if the other person can speak, right? So yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, right. Again, like I think that the worry is that there are more there are more people than we like um, having hateful views and. Well, I, I I like your idea of like, well, we don't want to bury it down. Um, I just think it's hard for people to hear. And so that's what we're encountering right now is that people are are worried <laughs> that there's a reality that we don't want to sell, tell ourselves the truth about. Um, and so we'd rather not hear it rather than, than maybe do something about it. Um, but yeah, I, I don't, I, I don't know how you... Um, I'm, I am interested in what you like to post that you feel censored about. I don't know that you want to talk about it here, but I have, I have the same thought. (laughs) Have you, have you, have you posted things that you've gotten that kind of feedback about, or like, have you kind of kept a line so that you won't get that? Um, are you willing to try that? Like, I don't want to make you an experiment, but like, I'm interested in kind of, yeah, I mean, like private conversations I have with Brian or Praveen, like we have certain views that maybe have trickled out a little bit on the podcast, but it was kind of like, we always kind of like, all right, let's 
let's reel that back in and like let's not go any further in that because we're gonna get into trouble here interesting um so like it, it's weird because a lot of this stuff is very theoretical for me and it, it doesn't really matter to me personally aoc is calling oh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. i gotta mute this Raising kids and parenting styles and, and public school education and vaccinations and like all these things that like it doesn't affect me or abortion even. Yeah. It yeah. doesn't affect me personally really at all other than the fact that it affects society and I'm part of society. Sure. But every day I feel less and less attached to society anyways and I'm kind of ready to just go off like I said earlier in my own way. Um, but, you know, I've had – like Brian has a couple kids and he – they go to private school and then I asked him and he's like, there's a Christian school. And I do think about theoretically, like if I were raising kids, you know, like parents would raise their kids in the way that you want to raise your kids. And you guys are going to raise your kids in the way you want to raise their kids. And he's going to raise his kids the way he wants to. And I think that's kind of just the natural order of things. But that's why I was kind of curious. Like I know you said on the, the latter day lesbian, like the, the podcast about, like there's no such thing as your kids. There's no such thing as other all... people's children. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so that's not that did not originate from me, um, and I'm not even sure that it originated from Glennon Doyle, but she is who I have heard say it, and she's an author, speaker, activist, and she had started saying it um, with all of the immigration stuff that's happening that. There's no such thing as other people's children. Like, we can't just say, well, these are, like, these people that were born across a border that somebody made up, by the way. That that there wasn't, like, the earth was created and there was, like, a line here that clearly was like, nope, this is one country, this is the other. So now we're, we're, now we've separated ourselves. So the context is... We should care about other people, even if they're beyond the border. Or it's something weird, like that. right? Like I think that a lot of people don't believe that that's true. That they think, nope, we live in this country. We should right. care about the people that are here, and that's all we should care about. And I just think that I, that does not make sense in my brain, yeah. Be, and especially in terms of children. Like they're children. Right. What the fuck do they know right. about whether or not they were born in your country or a different country? And treating them inhumanely, right. like you can't. We shouldn't do that. That's right. just not a reality that should be happening right now. And I think I – like it, the schools are a good example too. And we've actually – we've talked about this on our podcast that we've struggled with this a little bit. We moved a couple of years ago. We live in a fantastic school system. And our kids were going to go to fine schools. But we had the opportunity to move 10 minutes away to schools that would maybe be like a little bit better. And we – took that opportunity and we moved to where our the schools would be just slightly better. And I struggle with that because you can read studies and listen to an episode of This American Life that will tell you that the way that the whole school is made better is by as as much integration as possible. And we are white and we are upper, upper middle class and we could have stayed there and we could have looked out for other people's children literally other people's children and not just cared about our own, but we could have done something that would have been beneficial to more kids, which in my heart is actually what I think we should be doing. Our, our daily decisions don't always play out that way, but my best highest self would say, no, I want to help all of the kids. And if I can stay here and help all of the kids in this area, that's what I want to do. I don't know. 
Well, <laughs> so to, to kind of go back to free speech, right? Like you're interested in protecting everyone's free speech as if it were, it's not a kid, right? It's, it's not a human being, but you understand that this, this right is important for everyone to have because it, it allows everyone to be able to express themselves. And, and the concept of uh, there's no such thing as other people's children is, again, to get to our baseline humanity, like everyone cares about kids. Not everybody, but it's an easy, <laughs> easier statement to make than everyone cares about all humans. And so I think trying to see the commonality in, in children and um, seeing that we should care for everyone's children because these little beings didn't mm -hmm. get to choose yeah. where they come from right, right, and eventually right. they become a, adults right and as we were talking earlier everyone's story leads them to a certain place right. and okay. um i don't know that, that so if, if that's the context like i have no problem with that like that's sure I mean, that's just caring about humanity like right. I'm, of course i'm for that i think the way i maybe and maybe i misinterpreted that the context of that quote is i i've seen some things online where you know and i shared it with brian and we talked about it where it's like like sex, ed sex education for kids. And for me, um, like, I didn't really push back when my friend Tuana was on the podcast that much, but uh -huh. like, 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 I was kind of waiting for her to send links and for me to do more research on it. But I have seen some stuff that I find disturbing when, you know, they had uh, transsexuals and drag queens and stuff with little kids um at like assemblies and things like that and i just felt like that just seems too young like just kids are like little kids like and and that was part of the thing why what, I, what's gonna happen like the thing is this goes back to religion is that kids are highly impressionable so i would prefer to let kids just be kids and not because they already live in a world where there's they're becoming adults way faster. Right. And I'm like, why do we want to keep pushing that more and more on kids them? being kids looks a lot like transsexuals and drag queens than you would think that kids don't. Again, that, that wasn't like that when I was growing up. You were raised in an extremely religious conservative environment. No, I went. I was raised in the military in terms of going to schools. Like sure, but you certainly I had I ideas in school. your home. That were accepted and were not accepted. And kids left to their own devices are free to play however they want. Mm -hmm. And they don't know if something is right or wrong. Like the, in terms of like girls are not only going to pick pink. Some girls are going to pick pink because they mm -hmm. like pink more than they like blue. Right. But we're not – it isn't just this this binary like they all do this and they all do this. And we shouldn't allow them to think that any that there's any crossover. Kids are impressionable. I choose to think of that in a positive way of, yeah, we're also helping them to see that they that there are infinite possibilities and that people make different decisions and that you shouldn't make judgments on those people for the decisions that they make or decide that they are one thing more than the other. So does it come down to, is the crux of it about bullying? Is that the main reason so that kids don't bully other kids? Like in that situation, or? I don't know. Like in, in for the specific example, I am not. I'm completely unfamiliar with that. Shocker! We need Could, context right. and like a long article. That would be that's interesting to me. Um, I think that the more education, especially um, 
yeah, I think more education, the better for kids. Like, uh, there are differences as far as... But there's also age-appropriate. There is age-appropriate, but I also think that normalizing things from a very young age, I think, is better. Like, I I was raised in an extremely conservative household, and modesty was stressed, and that has led to all kinds of weird body dysmorphia and eating disorders and all kinds of things because everything is so just, like – there was a moral judgment that was placed on it as opposed to just a body is a body and it's fine and stop sexualizing children or stop sexualizing shoulders or whatever it is. Like we're just human meat puppets as Pete Holmes says, like this is what's happening. Like we're just existing and this is what we exist in. So I am definitely err on the side of like educate kids as much as you can. And, and the, the topic of transgender is, I don't think it didn't exist. I think like lots of things, we're coming to find out that it's always been around. It's not new. We just, there were things that were and were not allowed to be discussed. And that was definitely something that was not allowed to be discussed. It's not because the people didn't exist. But don't you also think it has to do with social engineering and kind of like, I've seen stuff too, where it's like little kids, like if you ask a little four-year-old like what do you want to be he's like i want to be a dragon like you know or right. or do you believe in santa like i brought this up with brian <laughs> when he was talking about how his daughter went up to this man right. at the store and was like hey like i think jesus really you know could be and i'm like and he's like yeah dude she really believes in jesus then and, 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 and i'm like okay my question was right does she also believe in santa at that point right. and he's like yeah yeah you know so Kids are, they'll, they'll believe whatever their parents tell them or whatever the school tells them or whatever. So where do we draw the line in terms of what is the belief of a transgender, like bringing the transgender person or a drag queen in? Like, what's the belief that's being put upon them, I guess, put upon the children? What's trying to be taught? Yeah. Is that what you're asking? Well, yeah. One of the things I worry about is like getting kids to sit there and question, like, am I a boy? Am I a girl? But like, also, what what's wrong with them questioning that? Well, I'm more of the mindset of, like, um, well, I also think, like, there's male and female as opposed to the fluidity thing. And, okay. again, we talk about views evolving or whatever. Today, right now, that's how I see things. Sure. So the transgender thing is kind of new for me in the sense that I've been wrapping my head around it. Yeah. And it's definitely in my face every time I watch a show or anything. Yeah. So there's no me escaping it. I have to sit there and, you know, do some research and stuff and find out about the science of it all and all these things. You know, so the verdict's still out for me on that. But Okay, so you're seeing it as maybe they're being taught about this thing or normalizing a thing that isn't normal? Potentially, yeah. Okay. You're not decided yet, but like... This is like, I mean, it's the Santa thing. It's the Jesus thing. It's the, when you tell kids... That otherwise, if you didn't in, in right. engineer they're them not in this going way. to they're not going to come up with yeah. Santa yeah. on their a, own. A boy, I, okay, yeah. I, I guess the difference saying. is up until now, no one has seen Santa or Jesus, <laughs> and so those don't exist. Trans people do exist, and they are one of the most violently acted upon groups in the United States currently. Well, their suicide rates are very high. Absolutely. And whether it's pre or post operative. Right. No, I mean, there, yes. there so is a lot. There's yes. clearly a lot, there's a lot going, going on. on there. Yes. In my mind, um, 
I don't mind. I, I like it, it, whoever you are is who you are. And so we should accept people as they are. And so teaching kids that there are people that are like, that couldn't, all couldn't, couldn't, wouldn't be safe to just teach children. Hey, everybody, people are going to be different. You know, there's going to be brown people. There's going to be tall people. There's going to be fat people. Although I don't know how you would tell a child there's fat people because you're not allowed to say fat anymore. So I don't even know. But like you could say people that are going to be different shapes and sizes, whatever. Okay. So, you know, and people are going to be like kids don't even understand sex yet. They don't even understand. Right. I didn't, you know, until later. Well, and <laughs> So I don't know how you're going to relay that to little kids in a way. Well, gender you isn't teach them a general, sexuality. Like, you could teach them a general golden rule kind of thing like love treat other people with respect regardless of who they are i mean that's that's a core value that i think sure. you could teach children of any age and i don't think anybody would argue with that correct um they might be they might need specific examples they might need to see what that looks like of all those examples of all those examples yeah. because we don't all learn the same way so again like back to hearing people's stories like i mean i think in this sort of hypothetical situation we're talking about elementary school children but take like teenagers who might be prone to negative judgments towards a, a transgender woman allowing them to be in a room and to hear a story and to see a person and put a face with a name with an experience might endear them to that person might open their mind to oh, okay now I've seen this thing it's not just this hypothetical that I'm going to be met with down the street at 25 or whatever it is but you can actually see someone and see that it exists um there's tons of evidence to back up and and you probably experienced this as, as a kid like I've heard from actors and actresses that were like I never saw someone that looked like me on television I wasn't represented mm -hmm. and they wanted to be represented and yeah, it, it's specific because, like, I was just talking about this with my sister yesterday, and I was saying how I loved Stranger Things season three. And one of the things I was, I had mixed feelings about it, but I was, I was genuinely happy about it, is that they didn't try to rewrite history. Like, they mm -hmm. didn't just insert an Indian character or an Asian character. And every, everybody in the show is all white, and there's, like, one token black kid. There's one token black kid. And I'm like... Because every neighborhood's got one. But that's <laughs> that's the world I grew up in in the 80s. Right. So... I feel like if they would have brought an Asian kid and an Indian kid in, and, and a couple of them and made it diverse, it would have really upset me. Because Do you really think it would have taken away from it, though? I mean, I would have. But here's the thing. Part of the reason why I liked it so much, because I just watched Jessica Jones right before that, uh -huh. which I didn't like as much. But I'm not a huge... Like, the story just it wasn't that interesting to me. But, but I feel like I see the agenda things when they come out. And I'm like, okay, it, it yeah. detracts from, I'm not watching this to be preached at. I'm watching this for entertainment value. But you're also a 42-year-old man, and I'm not hating on you for watching Stranger Things. <laughs> no, but you think about but, it. Stranger Things is completely targeted toward... It is. Like, yeah, it is. But, but we also, you're, you're totally time. right, but we also have a 9-year-old and 11-year-old. And yes, they happen to be two white girls. So they're, they see Elle, man, and they're on board with this. But <laughs> yeah, she's awesome. Yeah. She's yeah. awesome. Yeah. But if they weren't... 
then that would mean something different to them to be able to see those kids because they're not seeing the agenda. They're not feeling like they're like, oh, they just threw in the token. Yeah, I think my point is there's plenty of other shows out there where your kids can watch and there's a completely diverse cast. There's plenty of that. But to go back and revise history and say in the 80s there were Indian, that would have really, because remember when Well, they didn't do it and I don't see them getting hate for it either. I don't see people, no, people are not upset about it. The internet's a large place. I'm sure there is somewhere. I'm sure there's some social justice warriors. I was watching the other day where um, something we were watching that was sort of modern and either they were being super misogynistic or... Oh, are you talking about Mrs. Maisel? No, no. It was something else. Anyway, I can't remember what it was. And you were like kind of what you're like, what the fuck's going on? Like, why are they... And I was like, well, uh, this is the... It was like in the 90s in like a white suburb or something. And I'm like, of course, I can't remember what we were watching. We were watching something and you're like... That's fucked up the way they're acting. I'm like, yeah, that's also that was also reality, right? And like, th- from that perspective, like I like that they don't change um, or, or try to update the views there, so that we can still see history. However, yeah. I will say this is a kind of a funny tangent, but to go the opposite way, I have been confronted with a couple of different shows recently where people they happen to be conservative Christian, and there's like either a lot of sex in a show or a lot of language in a show and they will feel like that it's a current show that's set in history whatever time and they're like oh it wasn't really like that people weren't really like that and Stranger Things actually is a perfect example my dad watched they cuss a lot and I love it and my dad said I it it takes me out of it every time because kids don't talk like that and I said are you fucking kidding me What fairy tale right. land are you? So, well, it's so a Mormon fairy tale land well, where no, right. none of the kids so, curse so around the adults. Me, like I didn't really cuss like that, but I was jealous of the kids who could yes, cuss right. like because they were because so. they were. <laughs> no, yeah. so I bring that up as like an opposite of like you could be like, oh, they're rewriting history. Well, maybe they're rewriting your history, but they're not rewriting someone else's history. Maybe somebody else experienced that completely differently than you did. So that's that's an interesting idea. But yeah, my dad definitely didn't experience children cursing in the 80s. It didn't mean they weren't cursing. <laughs> well, I kind of see, yeah, I kind of see his point is that in the shows and stuff, it was so whitewashed back then. Yeah. Nobody cussed, Maybe. nobody. Yes, on that's TV. That's true. Correct. But the reality. Correct. But right. the reality, right. uh, Mrs. Maisel on Amazon, right. same thing. They they have a character oh, who yeah. is plays. Um, Lenny Bruce. Lenny Bruce. And my sister was like, they didn't talk like that back then. I'm like, Lenny Bruce is known for how foul he was. Like, they're not making, yeah, like, they're not making that up at all. What? (laughs) Anyway. So, I think exposure to kids is, uh, I, within what you, within what you deem appropriate. And again, there's laws against what is abuse and what is harmful to children in certain cases. So, I feel like we have some, some, like, I am certainly exposing my kids to things that my parents would not think is appropriate. But I do, right. and I think they're better for it, and I think they'll be better for it. And so, and that's your right and responsibility yep. as a parent right. is you raise your kids the way you want to raise them. Right. Right. And I mean, and in schools, almost every school district allows you to opt out of sex education specifically. And so, like, I for think. Now. Well, I don't. So my view is that we have the right and left, and they're fighting against each other all the time. And I think that's a good thing because I think we're keeping it balanced. I, that's I feel like there has to be that checks and, 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 and it's going to yeah. shift one way and it's yeah. going to go back the other way. And hopefully that we, we stay kind of locked in that way because I do think that if you go one way too far, the mm-hmm. other way too far, you you lose 
the uh, I, I don't know it, it's a little bit frustrating at the same time because nothing ever moves but at the same time like I think it keeps us locked in a in a, a tight in dance an equilibrium of sorts. right right like yeah. where it, it keeps it balanced and we'll shift back and forth right. and we'll be upset about all of it and 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 that's good and we'll have discourse um and, and you know I want I always wonder if every generation's like the the sky is falling you know this is happening or that is happening and. I think I think it is, but I think we have too many examples in history of where it did feel like that and it did go that way. And, you know, just everyday citizens just kind of went along with yeah. how it went. And I mean, so, I, I feel like if you look back at history uh, in, in Russia, Soviet Union, Nazi Germany, all those yeah. kind of things, like the thing that was always the most dangerous. Freedom of speech. Yeah. Yeah. When you, when you uh, oppress groups and you, you demonize them and you take away their rights – like that is the path to, to great atrocities. Yeah, and I, I think what the the thing we're seeing now is that there are historically oppressed groups who are getting louder and more um, more people are on their team, if you want to say it that way. And so it kind of seems like it's it's shifting a different way. Um, but I, I think it's good that we're bringing oppression to the forefront and talking about systemic problems. And I, I think it, I think it gets a little bit dicey when we, when we generalize too much. But I do think it's important that we talk about the, um, the status quo as being something that we should take. Like I, I feel like we should be progressing, right? Like we should be moving in, in a direction of more openness, more conversation, mm-hmm. um, and, and not quieting voices or making sure opportunities are there for everyone. Um, I just think we're in a very transitionary time right now where it feels kind of chaotic. Yeah. And I, I don't know, like I, I, I'm a pessimist kind of in this sense that, um, I can only focus on like very local, like relationships with other people. I don't like to read the news. I don't like to know what's going on. I have a that privilege to, to, to make that. I don't have to care about things because of my position in life. Um, but I do think that it's important to have conversations with people all the time and length at length, disagree a little bit, have a back and forth. Um, and that's what makes me feel more powerful. I feel very powerless when I see big ideas and big things like the national seat political scene. I feel very powerless when I, I feel very pessimistic when I see that. So I like to focus on the here and and now, um, because I feel like that's the only thing that we, that we have. That's how I feel. I know that's not shared. I mean, need, both well, of you, you feel probably less like an activist and you probably feel more like an activist or you would rather be more of an activist, right? I would rather be, but I, I feel the same pessimism and I see this, I feel the same. Um, I don't feel like I have a lot of control or have a, a, a large scope to do anything. Um, I have a very small sphere of influence. And if, I try. if you had 30,000 Instagram followers, would you feel differently? Would I feel like I had more of an influence? Um, whether or not I had the influence, I can't decide, but I would feel like that opportunity would be more there. Um, and I think I would continue to say the same things that I say now. Um, that's one thing that I have tried to do is this is what I would, there are certain things that I would like to say to people and conversations that I would like to have education that wasn't given to me, things that I didn't know and that I was blind to, and I had the privilege to ignore 
and I don't want my children to be in that situation. They have a certain amount of privilege because, again, they're white. We're upper middle class. We live in suburbia. This is our reality. But they will not be blind to what other people experience that are people who are different than them. And I was extremely blind to that. So I have a small sphere of influence. I have my I have my kids. I have my friends who, in my particular time of life right now, I am in a echo chamber for sure. And I think because I feel so new to everything, that's where I feel comfortable. And I'm not ready to to try you, to be outside of When you say new to everything, you mean like life outside of Mormonism? Yeah. So I, I mean. I would never have considered myself a feminist before. I was definitely a registered Republican. And like that was, I just thought, you know, all of the, all of the conservative Christian values. I was extremely uh, pro-life and all of the things that come along with what like that sort of stereotypical thing is. And so I'm new to, <laughs> I'm new to these ideas. And so I still, I still am sort of like, gathering my gathering my sources of information, figuring out who I want to learn from, who I want to listen to, and kind of feeling like it's like I said, like I feel unprepared to have a lot of these conversations because I just am not it's not been something that I've done. My dad was in politics when I was growing up, and so for a long time my line was like, "Oh, my dad's in politics, so I don't ever like think about anything political. I never watched the news. I never did anything." Like that, I was like specifically trying not to, and now I'm like, okay, I'm in my 30s. I feel like this is like an adult thing. This is a responsibility I have. <laughs> so, and it's and it's interesting to me. So, I kind of am, I'm still sort of staying in my echo chamber so that I, <laughs> yeah, so that I can learn enough to feel like I can have conversations. I guess. Well, yeah, I see it as like it's a process, yeah. and like you're in the early phases of that leaving totally you know you're the new space you yeah. described like yeah it's a journey that you're on and i think your views are going to evolve my views are going to evolve like everyone as long as we're willing to be on that path of right. self-discovery and well i want people to like I've, I've said a thousand times now like i want people to listen to people's stories so i will also listen to people's stories um that's how i've gotten to where i am now so i it will continue to evolve. I would be surprised if some of the things would make me go the other direction. <laughs> like, I feel like it's just going to sort of continue down this path where it is. It's not really going to take a U-turn to go back to being. I don't think it's well, necessarily a direction that changes. I think it's going to bring no. us back to the church. Well, right. Sure. Well, nothing. Yeah. And so, and so unless many things. I, unless God literally I know. walked in the door. And like I, I said before, I still may be like, no. man, I'm not into it, man. <laughs> right. And well, like, that's the thing is that it, the, there are so many things that are basically synonymous with Christianity and religion. So many of those beliefs. Just tox, like toxic. Yeah, like I just bullshit. can't I can't ima- I can't yeah. imagine. Well I, I don't think it so much takes a different direction. I just it's like it, it ages, it, it matures. It I don't know, like it, it there's more depth to it. Like like we were tasting whiskey last night and like there was one Virginia bourbon that tasted like it was aged in like a uh I don't know like a tin pan or something like, like it was very metallic like it was it in wasn't a good way or a bad no way. Not, not in a good it way wasn't, it, wasn't it wasn't terrible, terrible but it, it just, wasn't great. like it was it probably wasn't aged very long it was like very sterile tasting it didn't have like the depth of like a bourbon in a oak barrel you know yeah. charred oak barrel like where you get like real depth and like it, that's what i feel like evolution of ideas it's not so much of like it's a different 
base as much as like it just I don't know sinks in a little more and like it just gets deeper and more nuanced and I don't know it, you just see you see more people you have more experience so you can understand more things yeah I don't my views are just look at other people in the <laughs> eyes and see the light in their eyes and like that's that's all I can focus on because I, I get overwhelmed outside of that um yeah, kill the conversation. I think again. we're I think we're all <laughs> decent, honest, passionate people in our own way. Like the three of us. I mean, not all everybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And we know just, that's not just, true. Just us. But uh, yeah. So I think that's great. Like I think that's I totally agree with you about like the the conversational approach and we need more of that. Like what we're doing now, you right. know, and at the same time, I would say there should be more podcasts. But on the other hand, I'm like, it's such an oversaturated I know, market. I know. Right. So. And I mean, like, like I always say to Diana, like, sometimes she'll want to share something. And she'll like, well, so-and-so already said it. I'm like, but the the point is, like, different people hear from different right. people, yeah. right? There's, there's, like, there's probably a million fiction books about the same exact topic. But everyone has a different favorite. They attach to things in different ways. And I think that's the important thing about having all the podcasts or the long-form conversations or the articles, whatever it is, the information that people are able to consume because I think that everyone can hear it in a different way and and um, attach to a different way and connect in a different way that may not be available otherwise. I don't know how else you do it. I guess that's my point. It's like, okay, so yeah, it'd be great if it was quicker and more effective or whatever. But I think that's the thing is it it's only long form sitting down somewhat painful, maybe having a back and forth, having disagreements and reconciling those things. I think that's the only way it happens anyway. And so there's no, there's no quick fix to the, to the things we're doing. Um, but you can't legislate any of that. Right. It's the goodness of each individual human to commit to trying (laughs) not a podcast about this trying. is not a podcast about trying <laughs> um but really just like this constantly attempting iterating like repeatedly and and messing up and trying again and yeah. I, I don't know like i that's why i don't attach to any sort of large-scale theory about anything and like i like again i get overwhelmed very easily when i think of anything bigger than just the conversations we're having but i think that's where it's at thankfully other people are trying to govern and do large-scale things otherwise we'd have chaos but i'm not necessarily opposed to that either (laughs) way to go all right anything else cool um no i really enjoyed uh this conversation i think this was this is really great um i love that we can have these conversations and there's there's a lot of overlap there in terms of us both leaving religion all of us but there's also differences there and Mm -hmm. You guys came from more of a cult-like thing than I did, but I was in my thing, like, longer. And I dad was a preacher, by the way. I don't know if you know that. Yeah. I did know that. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a special brand. Yeah. So, but I'm glad we can come together. I would, we have not even gotten to AOC's uh, no. question list. We'll have to just have, like, a but, AOC rapid fire yeah, at some point. Yeah, I was thinking about doing a rapid fire, but I don't think we have time for that yeah. now, but... Yeah, I would love to do this again sometime. Yeah, so, let, let's do it again. Yeah. Thanks for coming all Anytime. the way down from... From Philly and coming to see us, and you're welcome in the studio anytime. Yeah, our fancy studio. Cool. Yeah, I feel privileged to be in the studio <laughs> <laughs> after hearing about it for so I'll long. Say you're one of the few. Thus concludes episode nine. I had such a great time recording with Ben and Diana, hearing about their Mormon days and how their transition out of Mormonism has played out these last couple of years. They're certainly on a journey of self-discovery, 
and philosophical and spiritual exploration, as am I, and perhaps you too. To continue hearing their life story unfold, subscribe to Your Friends Podcast. They're on all the major podcast platforms, just like Confusianity, Apple, Spotify, Anchor, etc. As was also mentioned earlier, check out the Latter-day Lesbian Podcast, specifically their July 14th episode, to hear more details on Diana's life within the Mormon Church and her departure from it. As for Confusianity, we've got one more juicy episode coming up in a couple weeks before concluding Season 1 and returning with Season 2 later this year. If you've been enjoying listening these past few months, there's lots of little ways you can support this project. Please leave a nice rating, and even better, write up a nice little review on Apple. This will help increase the chances of more people discovering the Confusianity podcast. And of course, that'd be great if you directly share this podcast with friends and family who may be interested. And if you haven't checked out the YouTube channel, go check it out at youtube.com slash confusianity. We're just a few shy of 1,000 subscribers, and you can make it happen. Like, right now. Go ahead. Thanks. Okay, other than that, check out the episode description as I've provided links to relevant videos pertaining to some key issues we discussed today, including Lindsay Shepard being banned on Twitter and what's going on with sex education in public schools, especially for very young children. Are you cool with what's happening? Are you concerned? I'm curious what you think. As always, you can reach out on social media to further discuss anything and everything we chat about on the podcast facebook.com slash confusianity and at confusianity on twitter although i'm most active on instagram at instagram.com slash confusianity all right that's all for now take care my friends tomorrow is a latter day and i am here for you